0: quantum mechanics
1: yes we are the quantum mechanics the podcast for the believers the doubters and everyone in between thanks for listening we've had some great numbers this week really appreciate those of you who have subscribed and shared it really does help and that just helps with the sunny beautiful weather spring is definitely here and then um, feeling quite good although we did have snow this week we did have snow, but I kind of like that as well. Snow and sun say Easter to me.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, also, I'd want to thank, we've also uh, had some lovely reviews put out there, which uh, at some point we'll share. But um, we really appreciate when we get reviews, especially nice ones. So thank you, everyone who's done that. And uh, yeah, if you feel inclined uh, and you haven't done one, give us a little review somewhere. That'd be great. That oh, would be great. Thanks. And talking of friendly things to do, um, <laughs> I smell finally, a segue. <laughs> you smell a segue. Uh, it leads us on to this episode. So, listeners will know a few weeks back we did an episode called "Pure Evil," where we talked about paranormal entities and possessions being generally evil and why that might be the case. Yeah, quote unquote evil. And we said in that episode, Ben, that we wanted to look into more, let's say, benevolent, benevolent spirits or mm. entities—ones that are pure good, mm. friendly yes. ghosts, basically. Yeah. That's what I want to focus on today. Oh, great! Okay,
1: because that's not like often people don't talk about that sort of thing. It's the it's usually confined to the realm of children's fiction, Casper the Friendly Ghost, and like yeah. maybe I think in the real Ghostbusters, Slimer was
0: actually. Friendly in the cartoon, but I was... and, the, and then you got the classic kind of Demi Moore, Patrick Swayze, Ghost. There's always a romantic. Oh
1: yeah, I've forgotten about that one. Go, yeah.
0: But you're right. Ghost, ghost friendly ghosts tend to be either for kids or some kind of romantic element to them, don't they? Mm, that's true. Uh, we've talked about the different types of paranormal entities on the podcast before. Demons, though, as we say, we don't like that word, but they're seen as well, they are more malevolent right through to poltergeist and trick spirits being a bit more mischievous. And it's interesting, I was thinking about why there aren't so many examples or stories about friendly ghosts, because you're right, most of the research, TV shows, podcasts, written work, it does tend to focus on, let's say, the darker or the scarier side of the paranormal, right? mm and the, and the lighter side, the more benevolent, having, it's got, I guess, more of a new age hippie, spirit healer or religious lean to it.
1: Yes, yes, I would think so, yes. And, and then, of course, I think you've got that sort of halfway house, the people um, that have reported things that we have often said I'm a little bit sceptical about. So the people who come through, we spoke about it in the past life um regression stuff um spirits who claim to be masters or guardian angels but then appear to lie that sort of thing as well
0: yeah yeah well i'm gonna i'm not gonna focus too much on the kind of more i'm gonna call it new age hippie spirit healer religious stuff Mm. because i think it's pretty well covered and it's it's hard to distinguish that against a belief system and whether something's actually happened so i'm going to try and avoid those so i wanted to frame my search within the kind of things we normally focus on the podcast and it made me wonder whether there were categories of entities where say paranormal researchers may have identified more benevolent types of ghosts or spirits is there is there a genre basically was Hmm. what i was thinking
1: that's interesting
0: Yeah, and I came across this website by someone called Mary Marshall. Uh, The website's called The Paranormal MD. Uh, Mary is a lecturer and writer on the paranormal. And I was just reading some of her stuff, and she says she's trying to include neuroscience, physics, and quantum entanglement into research. Oh, she sounds very much
1: like our sort of lady.
0: Yeah, I thought she was right up our street. So I'm going to start there. And Mary identifies seven basic types of hauntings or ghosts. So I thought I'd go through those to see where our inadvertent in commas ghost, good ghosts might fit in. Great idea. I'm going to give my own summary of how I think Mary is describing them because her descriptions rightly are, are quite detailed. So this is my interpretation of the seven types of of ghosts or spirits that that Mary's identified, okay, and then we'll see if they fit into this kind of idea of a good or friendly ghost, right? so we'll start with number one residual hauntings. so this is basically like t- stone tape theory, a past event being replayed over and over. so we've discussed these on the podcast before. So in my thinking, they can neither really be good or evil, as it's it's just a replay, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have any consciousness.
0: No, exactly. The second category uh, Mary mentions, shadow people. We've talked about them on the podcast for, like the Hat Man, or the entities that Monet described seeing in the Wandsworth Haunting special we did last year. She described seeing these kind of shadowy figures. She didn't know what they were, but she'd spotted them. And
1: it's worth mentioning that we've got a guest coming up talking about shadow figures.
0: Excellent. Yes. Yeah, that is worth mentioning. So, so stay tuned for that. Keep coming back because it's a really good guest as well, right? Mm. The shadow people. I, I I guess the theory is they can't fully manifest. So again, it's difficult to determine whether they could be good or evil. Certainly, Monet got bad vibes from them. Yeah. I, but I do remember Ruth roper Wilde describing them in a much softer way. I think she talked about going up to some haunted site and seeing the shadow people, and she was almost, um, I don't know, she didn't really describe them in an evil way. So I think the jury's out, but I think it's really hard to determine whether a shadow person is, is a good or evil spirit.
1: Yes, basically. yes, yes, yeah. I guess sometimes, like, there's probably a Venn diagram of crossover where perhaps some things are stone tapes but also shadow people um yeah that's a good point
0: so the third group that mary describes uh elementals so these are fairies elves gin. again we've covered them on the podcast before though i guess when we've looked at them they're not necessarily full-on evil they do tend to be talked about as tricksters or mischievous yes yeah, they so, do. So, like, some of those fairy stories, there's, you know, they start off nice, but there's always some little twist in the tale, right? Oh,
1: absolutely, yeah. Yeah, they they they're never, well, in all the steroid stories I've read, they're, they're never completely good. Yeah, you normally end up in the morning with a, a hangover wondering what happened, and your pa- <laughs> your pockets that were once stuffed with fairy cakes are now full of leaves, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically a normal night out after the pub for us, right? <laughs> it's pretty standard. Wait, yeah. I wonder whether we keep going to that fairy pub. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. That's where we're going wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'm not going to put the elementals, the fairies, the elves, or the djinn, I'm not going to put them in the good or altruistic spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, category four identified was poltergeists. Again, we've covered them before. Violent or destructive activity often associated with adolescent girls like the Enfield poltergeist case. Mm. I'm pretty sure they're not the good type we're looking for, right? No. Then the fifth uh, area that Mary describes, the demonic haunting. So my one-line description of this would be they're kind of poltergeist with attitude. Right, right. right. (laughs) Again, not what we're looking for in terms of friendly ghosts. Then we have Category 6, Demonic Possessed Human Entities. I had to read this one a couple of times to work out the difference between this and a demonic haunting. But I think the difference is these are human spirits that have been possessed or controlled by something demonic.
1: Oh, right, okay. Gosh, there's quite a lot of layers there.
0: Yeah, there are quite a lot, of and it did I, I'm still not 100% sure I've got that right, because I did read that section over and over, and I was going, what's the difference between a demonic haunting and a demonic-possessed human entity? But I think that's it. It's a, it's a normal human ghost that's been taken over by a demonic one. Mm-hmm. Either way, demonic-possessed human entity, there's a clue in the name, not friendly, right? Right, right, right. So this leaves one category, Uh, and Mary describes this as the intelligent hauntings. So Mary details them. I'm going to quote. She says, an intelligent ghost haunting is best described as a responsive, usually human entity with whom you have an interactive, intelligent communication. This type of entity is seemingly the personality of a person who once lived. She goes on to say intelligent ghosts are not evil or dangerous as some people would have you believe intelligent ghosts are simply human personalities and if the spirit was a kind and caring person in life the spirit will most likely be the same way in death.
1: Yeah that makes sense.
0: If we go with Mary's categorisations of these seven groups, the intelligent haunting, that last one, is where I think we might find good or benevolent entities. Most likely. Okay. Which did make me think if we buy into these seven categories, it's seemingly only if only one of the seven can fit the profile of a quote-unquote good spirit... It's no wonder there are a lot less stories of friendly hauntings doing the rounds, right? Mm, mm. Yeah. Just numbers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I started to look for stories that fit the premise of this intelligent haunting. I was looking for some kind of interaction between a human and a spirit, right? Because that's that's in the description of an intelligent haunting. With the entity just being, I guess, their normal self, a good person in real life becoming a good spirit. Yep. And I found this great story. It involves a beautiful manor house near the wonderful city of Bath in England. Mm-hmm. The house in question is called Cold Ashton Manor House.
1: I have heard of this. I have heard of You this. heard this story, yeah. Well, I don't think I've heard story. the story, but I've heard about that, um, that building. And yeah. I can't recall any specific tales, but I do... I do know that there are sightings associated with it, and you've just triggered something in the back of my mind. So, yeah, carry on. Sorry, I'm excited about okay, this. Okay, no,
0: we'll we'll come, come in if it, if it is the one you're thinking of. But so the uh, Cold Ashton Manor House was originally built in the 1600s. It's been rebuilt and restored many times over the years, still standing today. However, we're going to focus on a bizarre incident that took place in the 1930s. It starts with Lady Winifred Penoya, who got lost in the dark and came across the manor house and decided to ask for directions. She passed through. They've got the, the manor house they had distinctive iron gates, which had stone pineapples either side of it. We've talked about how pineapples yeah. were used. It was like a sign of wealth, sign right? Of, yes, and, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But very distinctive. So the gates, the gates of the manor house had these stone pineapples either side. So she went through the gates, headed from the front door, she rang the bell, and the door was opened by the house butler. She explained her predicament, and the butler gave her detailed instructions of how to get to her final destination, meaning she wasn't lost anymore. Lady Penoya thanked the butler and gave him a half crown coin for his trouble, and the butler's instructions were spot on, and she arrived at her destination, albeit a little late. The next day, she told her story to her host, who knew the house from the distinctive pineapple stones, right? <laughs> pretty, pretty distinctive. Um, so they decided to drive to the house. Lady Pennoia was shocked to discover that the gates to the house were chained shut and the building had been empty for a number of years. Mm. They unchained the gates, headed to the manor house front door... This is really spooky. There on the front steps, Lady Penoir found the coin she had handed to the butler the night before. Oh.
1: Oh my. Oh, yeah. that's a good one.
0: Oh, I just got tingles. That's incredible. Yeah. So she'd so she'd had this interaction, she'd left the coin, it was there. Now, this is not an isolated story. There are a number of motorists over the years who've said they've got lost around the area of the house and have reported similar encounters with the friendly butler of Cold Ashton Manor House. I couldn't find too much detail of these stories. So that bit, maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe that's become a bit of an urban legend. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was a motorist. I had the same thing, but... Uh, The Lady Panoya story is definitely well reported. So she believed it happened.
1: I suspect there are no details, but it would be interesting to know whether the description of this spectral butler matches the description of anybody who was in the employee at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's interesting because during the life of that person, they were serving other people and presumably what this says is they enjoyed their work and they wanted to carry on helping people
0: yeah and, and like like the intelligent haunting thing it does tick those boxes of helpful in life helpful in death effectively yes yeah uh, there were interactions between the human and the ghost Lady Panoia and the ghost because it it gave her instructions of how to get to a final destination unless she imagined them in her head yeah <laughs> um and I guess at some point the the ghost took the coin. It didn't just, I can't imagine Lady What's-Her-Name put it on the floor. No. Just said, there's your coin. So there's a lot going on there that does fit that intelligent haunting pattern. I mean, I guess you could argue maybe the butler was more pleasant and helpful than purely good, but it, it it's a friendly encounter at least.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh God, that is, it also reminds me of, that episode we did on houses that haunt, that um, they either come back to life, that there was a house there, or it's a, it, 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 there never was a house there. But the idea that this old house comes back to life and is staffed occasionally by ghosts and is the bustling place that it once was rather than being chained up and locked up. Yeah. I think that's, in a way, that's quite a romantic um, thought as well.
0: Yeah, and I, I like the story because it has that nineteen thirties has got that romanticism about yes. it as well, hasn't it? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that very one,
1: Jeeves and Worcester Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, ghost Jeeves and ghost Wooster. Um, it did spur me on to find other stories, uh, and I came across another one which I thought was really interesting. So this story was first reported in a newspaper called The Leeds Intelligencer on the 3rd of July in 1764. Mm-hmm. The events took place in a village called Uppingham in Rutland and involved an 18-year-old woman called Anne Nutt. She was the eldest daughter of Thomas Cornelius Nutt. What a great <laughs> name. <laughs> she was a nut. She was a nut, yeah. She was one of many nuts. (laughs) I think they were quite a big family. Uh, Anne was born and baptised in Oakham in 1745, and soon after the family moved into a cottage in the village of Uppingham. When Anne was 18, she was visited by a ghost that told her there was something valuable hidden within the house. She convinced her father to dig up some flagstones in the floor of the cottage, but nothing was found. I mean, good on the dad going, yeah, all right, I'll dig up mm, the flagstones, mm. right?
1: Mind you, if he's thinking there's something valuable, he's like, well,
0: you know what, I yeah. can easily relay these. Yeah, give it a go. Give it a go. Yep, yeah, but they found nothing. But the ghost didn't give up. It visit- visited Anne multiple times, insisting she continued searching. Anne convinced a local workman to help her dig up more of the house. I guess she thought, if I ask Dad again, he's just going to say no, right? Mm. I've just got that kitchen back from last time. Mm, I'm not mm, digging mm. it up again. Mm. (laughs) So Anne and the workman started digging up the cottage again, and under one of the flagstones, they found a black pot. When they opened the pot, it contained nearly 200 ancient silver coins. Wow. Wow. Now... Yeah, incredible, right? Now, this story must have created quite a stir at the time. It's reported in many publications, including one that I can't imagine was known for exaggerating or indeed featuring stories of the paranormal. I'd always say this wrong. It was reported in the British Numismatic Society magazine. Hmm. So, numismatics, basically, coin collecting.
1: Ah, right, okay. Never heard
0: that word so, before. That's interesting. Yeah, numismatic. N- I think I'm saying it right. So it was reported in the British Numismatic Society, Society magazine, Coin Collectors publication. They mentioned the story in addition, published in June 1764, and I quote, Friday 22nd of June, nearly 200 pieces of ancient silver coin being discovered at the house of Cornelius Nuts." at uppington they got the name wrong it's actually Mm. uppingham in rutlandshire a report was spread that the man's daughter was informed of the place they were hid in a dream so they don't mention the ghost they say it was a dream be that as it may some of these coins are said to be very valuable Mm. Mm.
1: wow so do we know did they go on and make some money off it then
0: I don't know I don't know where they eventually sold them. There was a little side story about some slightly uh inscrupulous man offering Cornelius Nuts something like a guinea each for each of the coins, which was way, way less than they were worth, and he just told him to sling his hook, basically. Or, right, right, know, right. In the seventeen hundredths version of whatever sling your hook is, sling us your hook us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but in summary, Anna visited by a friendly ghost, told her there were riches in the house, convinced her father to dig up the kitchen, found nothing, ghost wasn't giving up, told her to keep searching, she ends up finding hundreds of ancient silver coins worth a fortune. Purely the definition of a friendly ghost, right?
1: Yeah. And what is interesting about that is that sounds very much like a sort of um, Victorian ghost story, the sort of thing that you might tell at Christmas, um, Dickensian kind of thing. But is there any... I suppose we we will never know, but in what form did the ghost tell them? Was it full corporeal apparition or...? (laughs)
0: Yeah, I tried to dig around the detail. That doesn't say. It just says that it told her and and it kept coming back. It, there was no details of what it looked like or anything that, that I could find. I mean, maybe there's some more digging to do, but um, no, there was no description that I could find of the ghost itself. But what I liked about it, it, w- it was collaborated in multiple publications and to be included in a coin collector's magazine, it must have... Had some kind of traction at the time in the 1700s. Mm, yes,
1: yes, yes, very much so. Because I'm just trying to imagine what the the reasoning for the ghost being so insistent was. Presumably that it, you know, obviously it knew that there was something there, but whether they had put it there or whether they were taking, I don't know. Taking pity is wrong, but maybe they're thinking, well, I've got no use for it. Yeah, in in this life, but these people could really do with it, and and therefore they, you know, they're going to go, they, you know, they're going to go and push the point. And there's obviously that that this is completely different to the stone tape thing. This is this is very much there's a consciousness, and yeah. I think this is fascinating because it, it involves a level of thought process. So it to get to the point where you are a ghost pushing somebody to dig up parts of the house you have to sort of be thinking to yourself, oh, these people really deserve it. This is a big waste of money. So they have to carry on an understanding of what money means in the physical world and also want to help this specific person for some good reason. And yeah. you just wonder, like maybe maybe the ghost was in love with her or, mm. you know, I wonder whether there was an emotional attachment there. Maybe they were an ancestor.
0: Well, one thing I did wonder, and it's pure 100% kind of fantasy speculation, is I wondered if the ghost had lived in the house, didn't know the coins were there, but somehow after it passed away, it was able to realise that they were there and was yeah. like, oh my God, I missed out on the opportunity, but oh, I yeah, the next person. That went through my mind.
1: Oh, that's interesting. If I'd known they were there, my life would have been different. Therefore, yeah. I want this other person to do it and but this is this is one of those things where and it goes back to what I was saying before about these entities that sort of come through in regressions or hypnosis who sometimes give stories about like oh you will um you should try and get this job because it'll be good for you or um you should do this and that and then there's always often some kind of like funny taste in the mouth and i just wondered whether you know these did these coins and we may know we might not know in this story did these coins actually help them or were is it counterintuitive and actually they ended up i don't know making a terrible investment and losing everything or
0: yeah or ended up like one of those kind of unhappy lottery winners
1: right yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah, they buy a yeah, load of drugs and kill themselves. You know, it's yeah. I, I'm I'm always worried about the motivation of
0: that's these entities.
1: It seems altruistic, but
0: it might not be. There be something out. Yeah, yeah. That's really, I hadn't I hadn't really thought of that. And It's interesting, isn't it? You kind of think bundle a bundle of silver coins got to be good, right? But you're right. Yeah. There could be there could be a twist in the tale, a kind of Dickensian twist in the tale. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. The the other thing is, those two encounters, I mean, one from the 1930s, one from the 1700s, it left me wondering whether good ghosts are extremely rare or or are they just getting meaner in in these modern times? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I started to look for something more up to date. So I've got a couple of stories from Ranker. These are quite short. Uh, The first involves a ghost that saved a child's life person mm. who posts it writes, uh, and you know sometimes the wording on these are a bit weird, so bear with me. My aunt and uncle live in a haunted house. They've heard footsteps, doors opening, when no one else was there, etc. One cousin described a ghost he saw in detail, an old woman in a long dress. The house was built pre-Civil War, so it's in America. Uh, they lived in it over 30 years now. The best story involves the same cousin above when he was less than three months old. He was attached to a heart monitor which would go off if he stopped breathing. The rules for the monitor were that the parents have to be on the same floor as the baby while the baby slept. Well, it was July and my aunt was desperate for a shower. She left him sleeping at the bottom of the stairs. At the very top of the stairs was the door to the bathroom, which he left open and... "'hopped in the shower. "'About 30 seconds of the wa- "'After about 30 seconds of the water running, "'it shut off completely. "'As soon as it did so, "'she heard the monitor alarm going off. "'She ran down the stairs soaking wet "'and my cousin's face was turning blue. "'She pulled away the blanket he had tucked around him "'and that motion was enough to get him to start breathing in a- again "'and his face to go pink.' The shower worked perfectly fine. Later, there was never an explanation for its shutting off at that crucial moment. My aunt wasn't sure if it was the ghost or divine intervention. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Um. Or. Or coincidence.
0: Or coincidence. Yeah, lucky coincidence.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. And that is Which again always... brings you back to Jots, doesn't it? Is that a job? Yeah.
1: Because for every story like that, there'll be a hundred where the child died because they didn't know. Yeah, yeah. But, um, no, that is certainly, you know, there's very little that you could read into that that could be anything other than positive. So, yeah. yeah. And isn't it interesting when, um, when somebody goes, oh, divine intervention. So if it had been the other way around people would have said, oh, it's demonic intervention. And I, this is why I always think it's dangerous to talk in terms of demonic or divine, because yeah, this is just, so. this is very simple shorthand for, I haven't got any other explanation, so I'm just going to say it's divine, or I'm just going to say it's evil. This is, this is one of the things that we encounter all the time. I would yeah. like to think that that is just a friendly ghost who didn't want the the child to uh to die but i wonder because the i wonder whether there are any instances of because this this um this intervention happens just as the child is suffering right there's no sort of future prediction here it's just at the time right
0: instant yeah because
1: one of the things which i i imagine we might come across is ghosts who uh sort of poor tent something happening we've talked about entities that see the future and try and warn about them you just sort of like the mothman and stuff yeah and and also we've spoken about like banshees and vardagas and and all of that stuff and you just sort of like there's a bit of me that's like was that the best you could do like if you if you have the power of a ghost could you not have just like stopped the shower working so that she did the child didn't have to turn blue you know there's yeah yeah, yeah, the, yeah but yeah. do and it and it raises the question of do different entities have different powers of prediction and like their their perception of time if you're a human um who's passed into the other life do you still sense time whereas if you're an entity that isn't has never been human is is it entirely different i don't know this is a big philosophical thing but yeah uh, it's kind of <laughs> the more I think
0: about, it, the more I'm annoyed that they waited until the child was ill. But yeah, well, the other thing it made me think <laughs> with kind of uh, movie, ghost movie, horror movie lore, it, even the good ones, you can't even get in a shower without something going wrong. <laughs> what we know from all horror movies is is never
1: take a shower, like genuinely, or better, just sponging yourself down
0: yeah in a bucket yeah. bit of dry shampoo in your hair just don't bother don't bother washing ever again
1: have you ever thought and i thought this when i was we were um having our bathroom renovated today you wouldn't be able to film psycho the way that it's done there because all showers have glass screens she'd have just looked yeah. over and seen the uh see uh, seen the murderer
0: and um straight away yeah because it would either be that or a wet room so you'd see him coming a mile off right? yeah absolutely yeah and he'd probably slipped over on the tiles yeah <laughs> <laughs> been a very different movie it would have
1: been a very different movie yeah sponsored by victorian plumbing yeah
0: yeah well i've got another one um from ranker but it's i'm not sure if this one is really a friendly ghost story, but I read it and I really loved it, so I've just included it. It doesn't quite fit. Um, But it does show the upside of living in a haunted house, so so in some ways it does tie in. Mm. The the poster says, I lived in a haunted house during a part of my childhood. The ghost wasn't one of those get-out ghosts. Rather, it would just roam around, making lights flicker, closing doors and jiggling doorknobs. The upside to having it around is that no matter what, the house was always cold. I mean, like, constantly 65 degrees Fahrenheit, it's about 18 degrees Celsius, cold. This may not seem like a wholesome thing, but I'm telling you, this house was in coastal Virginia. We would get swamp-thick summers there. Like, we'd go out to get the mail, and at the end of the driveway, and you'd come back drenched in sweat. It was that god-awful hot and humid, and while houses around us had their AC units breaking down left, right, and centre over the years due to overuse, it never stopped being cold in our house. Mm. Even, du- even during hurricane season, when there were blackouts and everyone is moaning about how hot it is because of the lack of power meant a lack of AC, our house was always still cold thanks to that flipping ghost. Best supernatural air conditioning system ever. <laughs> i never thought of it that way that's so interesting yeah
1: so in these in these green times where we don't want to be um burning fossil fuels to make rooms cold we just get them get yourself
0: a ghost get yourself a ghosted supernatural air conditioning do you know what there's probably a business in there somewhere there is yeah yeah <laughs> I don't know how do you install a supernatural. I mean, you again. You kind of go. You go back to the Ghostbusters tropes, don't you? You turn up with one of the ghosts in a box <laughs> and say, "Right here are your instructions." <laughs> Actually, you could do that because if it was like in the winter and it was colder, you could put it back in the box. Just get it out in summer for when you needed the uh, the house cooler. Getting it back in the box—that's always the problem.
1: I don't know. That's I reckon you just turn up and do a really sketchy Ouija board session and then yeah, <laughs> just, there we go. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but you've got something. I'll, <laughs> yeah. that'll, that'll be £2,000, please. Thank you.
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, that's our new business, the, the quantum mechanics supernatural air conditioning business. There you go. Um <laughs> So those those were from people who posted it, and we've said before with those kind of stories, we, we have no way of knowing whether they're real or not, but I thought they were interesting. So I was still searching for something a bit more modern in my search for for friendly ghosts. And I came across an article in Metro newspaper from 2010, which gave me hope for the existence of friendly ghosts. You'll love the the article's title. The article's title was Helpful Ghosts and Friendly Fairies in Paranormal Hotspots Across the UK. Hmm. Gotta love that, right? Yeah, no, that sounds fantastic. Well the report states uh the report has found that Britain is packed full of helpful ghosts, which point motorists in the right direction and help soothe the recently bereaved. The supernatural angel report also uncovers a series of hotspots where guardian angels and fairies seem to congregate in the UK. After scouring police and council records, I think that's the way it's written. I think the report's writers scoured police records rather than the fairies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, maybe
1: they just researching, sort yeah, of retracing yeah. itself. Oh, look, we're featured. Um, the, re- the report. It's the equivalent of Googling yourself.
0: Yeah, exactly. The report into angelic paranormal activity in the UK found that in the past 25 years, there have been a staggering 755 official reports to cops and councils in the UK. Hotspots of good paranormal activity include the historic village of Croston in Lancashire, where there have been 44 official reports of fairies living in nearby woods. A spokesman for the report said the ferry is known by locals as shrewfoot and that on one occasion it appeared at the side of the road to warn a hitchhiker to get off the road before a convoy of tr- trucks sped through the village. That's that's friendly. The The report notes there have been 755 document incidents in the past 25 years. Yes, you've said that, but I'll say it again. Ranging from the healing and helpful entities to visions of angels and animal spirits. Another hotspot in St Martin's Church in West Meston in Sussex, where there are dozens of reports of a friendly phantom drifting across the churchyard. Another friendly entity has been reported at St Botolph's Priory in Colchester in Essex where the ghost smiles at people who have been recently bereaved. I'm assuming that smiles kind of sympathetically <laughs> rather I was than sneers.
1: That's that's a bit sinister.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry for your loss. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think it means, you know, reassuringly smiles. There have been a total of 104 cases of angelic visions have been reported with Sutton Wood in Derbyshire getting the most hits as walkers see a monk wearing a large gold cross as they walk through the woodland. According to the reports, witnesses say that the entity is very holy and has an aura of goodness that makes them glad they have seen it. The report reveals there have been 99 reported cases of helpful entities in the UK which phantoms help save the lives of people they come across. One of the most documented is a manor house in Cold Ashton. We've covered that. Hmm. Uh, We mentioned that earlier. Out of the 755 official reports of angelic activity, these include 192 sightings of benign entities, ghosts which appear and vanish without scaring people, 127 friendly entities which smile or wave at people, 104 angelic visions, 99 helpful entities which actively help people who see them, 69 animal spirits, 44 sightings of fairies, 41 visions of saints, 32 of white witches, 24 guardian angels and 23 healing entities. I'm not sure how they divide some of those categories. Seem to be a bit of crossover there, but there are the different types.
1: I was going to say it goes back to when we were reporting on uh, those freedom of information things. So do you think it was a healing entity or a guardian angel? I don't know, officer. (laughs) Well, I'm going to put it down as guardian angel and uh, if you change your mind, just give me a call. Okay.
0: (laughs) Now, I I did come across another study by the same organisation, which was into evil Paranormal. So I thought the two were quite interesting. Hmm. Uh, So this was from 2010 again. In 2010, there were 227 evil paranormal reports in a year in the UK. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that, that's 227 evil ones in a year compared to 755 good ones in 25 years.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, okay. But again, this comes down to, um, I don't know, the fragility of perception and what could seem good to one person might be bad to another but I but i suppose it like all of these things have to be subjective so yeah
0: i understand well i also got me thinking i mean we talked about it before what would be your motivation to call the police to say you'd seen a ghost right um Madness But it's even stranger to call the cops to tell them you've seen a friendly one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was just walking out and I came across a ghostly monk who smiled at me and gave off good vibes. Thought you ought to know. You know can what you, I mean? Can you send a man round? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you, madam. We'll send a police car out immediately. (laughs) I like your
1: police impression.
0: That's excellent. It's good. It's a bit old school, but it's good. No, I like
1: it. Does he say hello, hello, hello when he gets there? (laughs) But that Um, you're right. That is weird. But then when we did that um, uh, investigation into uh, the the, what what had been reported to police forces. There was, I can't remember how many it was, but I think there was like eight wizards. And again, where do you even start with that? You know, I'd like to report a wizard. (laughs)
0: How do you know he was a wizard? But in some ways I get why, you know, because I think when we did looked at those freedom of information requests it was around kind of werewolf sightings and things that's on right yeah it was yeah that's uh, where I think it started we, yeah and we, we said at the time you i guess you understand why people might go i've just seen something really weird on the road it might be dangerous or an escaped animal and stuff and we i think we said about the wizards and stuff slightly stranger phoning up saying i've seen a evil ghost or something scary But, you know, why would you phone up and say, oh, I've seen something really lovely? (laughs) It's really friendly. (laughs) Before you go,
1: officer, there's an amazing butterfly uh, (laughs) just in my garden. If you want to come and have a look.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They might explain, actually, while there are less, if you're less likely to report a friendly ghost sighting, it might explain a little bit the difference in the numbers. Because I could see why, if you were scared, you might phone the police, but not if you were happy, right? Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, very, very, very peculiar. But maybe, maybe you're just so shocked to have seen it that you have to tell somebody.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe. So my search has that found stories of friendly ghosts, but they do seem rarer. But the discussion, Ben, we originally had in the episode on Pure Evil was are there examples of, let's say, good possessions Mm. that are outside of semi-religious experiences and people like that? So I was conscious that I'd not found one of those. Now, this could be because of the categories we described earlier. And certainly if you do the rounds of reddit and every all the other usual places we go pretty much there's agreement that a good possession is a contradiction in terms unless it has this kind of quasi-religious angle to it Mm. if intelligent hauntings are the only ones that fit the bill for a friendly ghost encounter it does that does not involve possession it would suggest right it's impossible to be possessed by a good spirit So I decided to dig deeper to see if I could find any examples of friendly possessions. So I went to those sources, as I said, like I said, there are lots of stories about religious ones uh, or mediums being taken over by a good spirit, you could argue, because they're being taken over from, uh, if you believe in that stuff, from a loved one. But then I came across an article in an unlikely place. And it's a publication called Psychology Today. Mm. So Psychology Today is one of the most respected psychology journals. Uh, And the article I came across, the headline is, Can Possession Be a Good Thing? Mm. And it had a subheading, We think of possession as a negative phenomenon, but for many it isn't. So that sparked my interest, right? Mm. Psychology Mm. magazine, talking about the paranormal, I'm in. Mm. So so the article is from 2016. It's from someone called uh, Miguel Farias de Fil. He's from, or was at the time, from Coventry University. He's an academic and author. And he writes, I'm just going to kind of quote him because he does write nicely. Um, To be possessed in the English language can hardly be good. It means being out of control, acting like a fool, doing something dangerous or criminal. A notable exception is to be possessed by love, but as fiction and common experiences go, this is all too likely to end in tears or tragedy. This is probably (laughs) true. With Abrahamic religions, uh, to be possessed is just about the worst thing that can happen in this life. An entity of malignant nature has taken control of your body and mind. You are not aware of what you are doing, but even if you were, you would not be able to intervene. Like watching someone else take over the steering wheel of your body and senses. Which is a good description. So how can possession possibly be a good thing? In many places of the world, including the wealthy West, many individuals seek the healing and advice of mediums who claim to channel or be possessed by spiritual entities. And within evangelical, Pentecostal and charismatic Catholic churches, you may also be possessed by the Holy Spirit. The author goes on to say when I first learned about dissociation and possession states in my undergraduate days in sunny Lisbon, I asked the lecturer about the mental health of those who communicate with spirits or think to be possessed by them. It's a cultural phenomenon, he answered, not a pathology. Not so long ago, that wasn't the case. In Brazil, where possession religions of various kinds thrive, inspired by African and indigenous religions or French spiritualism, spiritual possession has has historically been considered a pathology or a phenomenon largely confined to the lower classes. But with over 4 million people in the latest Brazilian census reporting, they report affiliation with a possession religion. That's a lot of people, 4 Mm. million. Not to mention many other millions of Catholics who visit mediums to seek healing or advice. The mindset is changing. Leading this change is a young generation of academics who have been exposed or raised within these traditions and have committed their careers to understanding the relationship between possession states and mental health. Really interesting so far, right? Mm, yeah, He goes on to say, the first time I visited Brazil, I was taken by a Danish anthropologist deep into the sprawling suburbs of Rio de Janeiro to watch a ritual of Candomblé, a religion where individuals are possessed by nature spirits. One of the people taking part in the ritual, a man in his mid-40s who danced energetically for two hours, told me afterwards he was a Buddhist and before that he'd been a Freemason. He didn't believe in gods of any kind but enjoyed the rituals. Do you remember what you did while being possessed, I asked. No, nothing at all, but I always come out of it feeling energised. For the past few years, the author has been collaborating more closely with Brazilian academics studying this topic. Uh, This year we published a case study focusing on Dona Sara, a leader of an Umbanda group, a possession religion born in the early 20th century in Rio de Janeiro. Donna Sara has experienced trance and possession states from an early age but these caused her considerable distress. Her Catholic parents and community looked down on these unusual behaviours but they didn't stop. As a young adult she visited a possession ritual and involuntarily fell into a trance and was possessed. She was told she had a gift and should develop it which she did. Ever since Donna Sara has been accepted into possession religion which now thrives. White middle-class individuals line up to get advice and healing from the woman. A favourite spirit she claims to receive is that of a Brazilian cattle herder. I love this bit. Dona Sara shows up fully dressed as a Brazilian cowboy before losing consciousness of herself in her own words. Blimey. Yeah. So to that lecture of my undergraduate days, the writer says, her possession experience would fit into the category of a cultural phenomenon. This is supposed to This is supported by the American Psychiatric Association criteria of a disassociated identity disorder, which, this is, quote, this is amazing. Possession should not be considered a disturbance if it lies within a broadly accepted cultural or religious practice. But here's the problem. When Donna Sarah was growing up, possession was not part of her Catholic culture or religious practice and these experiences brought her considerable distress. Had she been taken to a psychiatrist at that stage, she would have been diagnosed as mentally ill. That is very likely. Her experience lacked social acceptance or a cultural framework to make them meaningful and controllable. So can possession be a good thing? Donna Syrah would say it has been very good for her, at least from the moment she found a supporting group. But can her experience be extended to the millions of people in Brazil and elsewhere that allow what are regarded as invisible in- entities to take over their bodies? Can this experience foster a balanced sense of self and positive mental health? He says a question to be explored at another time. So is I can't quite work out whether he's accepting that this
1: is a paranormal thing or whether it is a, um, a mass... Not acceptance, but a um, something yeah, I, that people feel that they need to do to embrace that
0: um, belief system. I think he very carefully doesn't go there. You know, I think yeah. I think his uh, the way I read his article um, was it was more. Can it be a mental illness? Do you know what I mean? How bad is this for the people mm. involved? I think it's important to point out that cases of possession, whether evil or not, can be connected to mental illness or disorders rather than paranormal mm. events or activity. I think that's really important to say. Secondly, I think there are many examples, especially of children who've been labelled as being possessed who have undergone terrible rituals, ceremonies, exorcisms, mm. whatever you want to call them, and they have suffered mental and physical scarring or you know abuse as well. So I think it's really worth putting what we've just read in the context of that but what i find interesting is that definition by the american psychiatric society so i'll read it again possession should not be considered a disturbance if it lies within a broadly accepted cultural religious practice which i think kind of says to me is it's dangerous depending on the context but it is quite an opposition to take in a way
1: yeah it is an opposition to take but then I suppose it could be comparable with, because he mentioned um, Abrahamic religions. There, I guess if you were in an evangelical church, you 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 might be. I don't know what the correct term is, but you might be overcome by the Holy Spirit and um, yeah. fall over or something like that. And the perhaps there are some similarities. There it's just the context that is different, but
0: yeah. um and I think I think that's the point of his article because like you like you said, I don't think he's coming down one way or other of whether it's paranormal or not, or whether possession can be good or evil my My understanding is for the woman featured, he's pointing out it was bad for her within the context of a mainstream religious upbringing. Yeah, but more of a positive experience for her in the context of, let's say, more New Age belief, which is fascinating, I think. I don't have come to a conclusion on it, but it, I think that is fascinating, that it's contextualised within your culture, in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do as well, I do. Um, and it sort of also reminds me of a couple of those things, those cases we were talking about with um, Succubus and Incubi, that report from that indian um in, paper about yeah. the the guys who were seemingly being visited and then with the the appropriate amount appropriate amount of drugs uh, and the correct sort of drug that ceased which absolutely pointed to the fact that it probably was a mental disorder although there are paranormal reasons why it might not be but you could assume it is and so in this case you sort of go well maybe there's a part of the way of thinking which means that if you do get possessed it could have positive reasons but is that another name for i don't know living out a fantasy that makes you feel better about yourself or um you know without being judged if it's if it's wholly accepted you, you know i'd quite like to um i don't know Perhaps perhaps I felt like um, I quite liked to live my life as Henry VIII. I wasn't going to kill anyone, but if I went out in a tunic and told everyone I was possessed by King Henry VIII, everyone would think I was batshit. But if you'll I was do in...
0: anything, you would do anything to get a big chicken leg, will not you? <laughs> oh man, could you imagine the feast? Yeah. But in that,
1: if if we were in that environment, people are go, "Oh yeah, Henry VIII, nice one."
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So for me, the jury's still out on possession. I just generally, and it I don't know, I don't know whether you can have a good possession. But if we come back to stories out there, I, for me, the intelligent encounters with ghosts that are friendly, beneficial, or helpful, I think that they seem more likely... To me, if we're gonna if there is such a thing as a friendly, helpful ghost, that intelligent haunting seems to me the that's the sweet spot. Mm. The Goldilocks zone. The Goldilocks zone.
1: Great reference. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. I think my my instinct tells me with the stories you've said and the other stories I've read, sometimes just like people, sometimes ghosts and entities are good, sometimes they're bad, but I am still deeply suspicious of the ones who come across so altruistic. It's fine to save a baby, isn't it? But again, you have to look at the life of that baby. Did that baby go on to be a serial killer or yeah, yeah. something like that? Did, did a, uh, a ghost stop Hitler from dying? You know, you got to... Yeah. You've got to take it in the broad context because we take it in the context of our own
0: particular um, relationship with reality. The other thing it got me thinking was this, um, the genre, the paranormal genre, is it just more obsessed with the darker and the evil? Are those stories better? Are those stories more attractive to people than friendly ghost stories? Oh, yeah. uh, I, I think what's been an interesting example is how this episode performs compared to the one we did on Pure Evil. Mm. Yeah. that I mean, it's not scientific, but it will give us an indication of if we put out this episode called Friendly Ghosts and compare it maybe to the first week downloads of Evil Ghosts. Yeah, what does that say?
1: That says we got some friendly ghosts who are downloading... On their behalf to yeah. forward their propaganda.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe we'll do that when the next episode. Let's 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 compare percentages and numbers between those two episodes just to see whether people are a bit more obsessed with the kind of the the darker side, let's say, of the paranormal than the. Well, I mean,
1: side. I I personally am because I think they are just more intriguing if um, yeah. if a ghost comes into your bedroom every night and it just pays you a compliment and leaves you a bounty bar then <laughs> you know that's it's almost inconsequential isn't it
0: if whereas it's a, bounty, it's a bounty bar it's definitely an evil entity in my, in my
1: book <laughs> not not if it's the dark chocolate one my friend not if it's the dark oh, chocolate one oh. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's the best <laughs> chocolate bar anyone's ever made but If it comes in and says, oh, I'm going to get you and leers horribly at you and grabs your throat, then that is much more... Because there's a story around it, right? Because And I suppose because then that person that it's happening to, is like, oh, how do I get rid of it? Whereas if you've got a bounty bar delivering ghost, they just go, no, keep it, keep it. I don't know where it's getting them from. I hope it's paying for them and it's not stealing them, but... I'm enjoying my bounty bars. Thanks very
0: much. Keep keep coming. Well, there was a reason why we've watched hundreds of episodes of Scooby Doo as a kid. It wasn't for the friendly ghosts, right? No,
1: but tell me is is there ever an episode of the cartoon Scooby Doo, not the films, the cartoon Scooby Doo where the ghost is real? Is there yes. ever a real? Oh, there is. There oh is. right,
0: I know this because my son is obsessed with. There was a series. This is really geeky. <laughs> It's called... I think it's called Scooby-Doo and the 13 Ghosts. And it's got Vincent Price as a guest voiceover. No know. way. And there, are, there was a series. And I think there's probably about eight or nine episodes. And all the ghosts are real. Because he was watching it, my son, and I was like, oh, my God, they're real ghosts. And there, it's full-on paranormal of like vincent price summer summoning these ghosts there is and there's like a little trickster spirit in it and everything they are they are all real ghosts in it
1: well that's that is fantastic and um is is that a modern version or is that from the no, 60s 70s? 70s i think seventies. 70s. 70s. Uh, yeah, when it was good
0: little... yeah uh it's got scrappy in it i think though Scooby-Doo and the 13... You're listening to the
1: Scooby-Doo fan
0: podcast. (laughs) There we go, hold on. Uh, Scooby-Doo. Oh, hold on, hold on. Scooby-Doo. Da, 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 da. Oh, no. Uh, 13... Oh, God. Vincent Price. Uh... Maybe Aces. Yeah. Yeah it was made well, in 1985 13 episodes 13 ghosts 13 episodes Scooby-Doo and the Curse of the 13 Ghosts
1: Well I'll have to check it out I do want to be very clear to everybody listening that we don't base our stories <laughs> exclusively on Scooby-Doo
0: but no, but, um, but it it I would if anyone asked me how did you get into the paranormal that's how I got into the paranormal was it quite kid watching correct. Scooby-Doo
1: Quite correct yeah. me too Yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: quite liked velma too anyway
0: that's another story (laughs) yeah we're not going into that um (laughs) (laughs) we we haven't got time (laughs) we want to keep it friendly um
1: right well that was really good and quite a lot to think about there and yeah quite a lot of stories which i hadn't come across i sort of i really like that one about getting directions from a ghost because i think intrinsically and it's one of those things where i assume that there are stories like that possibly in some of ruth's work but i mm. i've never really looked at one where and th- this one itself has a piece of physical evidence as well it's not just a um, it's not just a tale so yeah that's really good
0: yeah. um yeah oh, lovely talking to ruth she's got a new book out i think we need to get her back on oh yeah she does she does yes yeah well, if you're listening ruth
1: come back on we miss you yeah we do yeah yeah we'll talk about that werewolf adventure yeah cool all well, right i think well. the the rattling of my dog in the background indicates that um i have to go and take him to the park before there is an unfriendly accident in my studio here so yeah
0: we're definitely keeping it friendly today so we're keeping uh, it good friendly. <laughs> and what he does will not be friendly yep give um, us some feedback like Follow, subscribe, review would be lovely as well. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. And we'll uh, see you next week on the Quantum Mechanics. See you next time. Bye. Bye. The Quantum Mechanics